Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. You know, when we talk about benefits, we usually think about either medical insurance, right? Medical insurance that comes with a job or the good that something will do. This morning, we're going to be uh, studying the benefits of the Incarnation. Now that's not the, the milk, that's carnation. This is the Incarnation. <laughs> Starting off on the wrong foot this morning. <laughs> James, James, this is the first time James has been tempted to turn the mic off. That might be a stretch saying it was the first time. <laughs> the Incarnation. And so we're going to pick up reading in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to read verses 14 through verse 18. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power over death, the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who feared the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so he, be, he might become merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your compassion, for the gift of your son, for you coming for us. And Father, I pray this morning that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that your word will be revealed to us. And Father, as we go through this, uh, as we travel these verses, I ask that you will reveal yourself to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak. And Father, we're excited to learn and to obey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we discuss the benefits of the Incarnation, we will see our freedom secured, our responsibility addressed, and His empathy secured. We begin with our freedom secured. The Incarnation of Christ refers to Jesus putting on human flesh. And so when we talk about the Incarnation, Jesus did not have a beginning. Jesus is God. He existed before the world began and He'll exist after the world is gone. He is eternal. He does not have a beginning or an end. Yet He came as a baby. He came as a newborn. He came and at Christmas was born as a child. And so that was the incarnation when Jesus put on human flesh and dwelt among us. So when you see or when you hear the word incarnation, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that moment when Jesus came and became and put on humanity to, uh, to uh, speak to us. The reason that he put on flesh and blood was that so through death, he could do a couple things. And we kind of, it just kind of breaks out as he walks through what he handled in here. He 
did so so that he could render the devil's power of death powerless. Because there's a power that the devil has over death that um, he wields upon us. And death is kind of like the final moment. Once somebody dies, once they cross that threshold, there's no more opportunity for them. There's no more opportunity for them to be saved. There's no more opportunity for redemption. There's no more opportunity for them to choose Christ. Their time is now. The time for salvation is today. And so when that happens, there's a power that he has over that that seals us off from the Lord. And part of that is our own sin has done that. But there's a power that he has. The devil's power of death is found in its finality. Once we cross that final threshold, we no longer have the opportunity to choose Christ. And so for those who put their faith in Christ, death is simply the end of their mortal time on earth and the beginning of their life in the visible presence of Christ. So death has different meanings depending on your relationship with the Lord. Even we're told in, uh, I believe it's Psalms 23, that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, we don't really walk through death as Christians. We only walk through its shadow. Because the death, death, true death, is separation from Christ for eternity. And that's what true death is. And so that is part of where his power lies. Jesus came to overcome that. And so that was one of the things that he accomplished. That he accomplished when he came in the flesh. The other thing that he did is that he freed those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery. See, the fear of death refers to those who have, been, who have no hope beyond the grave. And when you have no hope beyond the grave, then you might as well give in to the pleasures and sins of this life. I think there's two aspects to this. That, I think that's one aspect. So sin is... Um, I don't, if I was lost, I didn't have any hope. I didn't have any, any um, advantage or any uh, hope of the future in heaven with Christ. Then, I may as, then I'm giving in to the slavery of my body, to the things of this life, to the things that my flesh wants. But I also think there's another aspect to this that has been crept into Christianity. Is since... You're a Christian. You ought, there's this whole thing called the grace law where you really need to be doing these things if you're going to be right with God. And so <clears throat> he sets us free from that as well because when he saved us, he transformed us from a sinner into a saint, from being lost into the beloved. He changed who we are. And so when he sets us free, we no longer are bound by the things of this world. We're no longer bound by a flesh that wants to cause us to sin. We're free in Christ. Now, somebody said, does that mean that we're free to sin? What responsibility do we have to even live for Christ if we don't have to? Well, the responsibility we have comes out of gratitude, not out of requirement. And even though Jesus does command us to do certain things, they are fulfilled when we rest in him and allow him to work through us. Not by human effort. That's what self-righteousness looks like. 
doesn't come that way. It comes based upon the, the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so he, he freed those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery. Listen, there's people out there that are being taught if you don't live right, if you don't do it right, if you make one mistake, even as Christians, you're going to go to hell. You're going to miss out. You can lose your salvation. He promises us what? Eternal life. Eternal, does eternal life ever end? So it's not, it's not a description of just this life that we get. It's actually who we are because He transforms us. He changes us from the inside out. And so He came here. We're told that He came for people, not angels. He came for people, not angels. He didn't come for them. He came for you. That's why... I have said repeatedly that Jesus didn't die for your sins. He died for you. He handled your sins. He took them upon him, but he didn't die for them. He died for you. Because he wants you. It's funny how we all, we've all said that. Well, Jesus died for your sins. He did. He didn't want them on him anymore than I want them on me. He didn't die for them. He died for you and me. And so he secured our freedom. We are free in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, if he has saved you, you are free. You no longer have to carry this burden of I've got to do good, I've got to do right, or God is mad at me. God's disappointed. Do you ever think think about this for just a minute? I know that I'm throwing some of y'all this morning. Disappointment comes in our life when we have an expectation that's not met. Isn't that correct? How can God have an expectation for us that's not met if he knows everything that's going to happen? God doesn't sit in heaven disappointed because Mark got it wrong. If Mark gets it wrong, then he already knew that. The only thing that he feels is a broken heart for me because I missed out on what he could have been doing in the moment. And in the life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit in and through my life. That's where his heart breaks. It's not a disappointment because of what I did. It's a broken heart for what I missed out on. Does that make sense? So that's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of how this works. But he does that. But he also addresses our responsibility. We're covering a lot of big words this morning for some reason. He further explains why Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things. And he tells us that so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. See, what did the high priest do for the people? He interceded for them based on behalf of their sins once a year. That was the old sacrificial system. If you go back to when they built the tabernacle and they, had, they built an outer court, an inner court, and then a holy place and then the holy of holies. And so in the holy of holies is where the high priest would go and they would actually, they're on his robe, at the bottom of the robe there were bells and there was a rope on it in case he went into the holy of holies in the presence of God unworthily and God struck him dead, they could yank the body out. But Jesus has done that for us 
And we know that he's been accepted. We know that the work he did on the cross was accepted. And because of that, he's able to become merciful and faithful because he demonstrated mercy. What is mercy? Okay, what's grace? And what's mercy? Not getting. And the only reason to not get is because somebody's been sad. I know you have to think, we have to think about it, right? It's because somebody's been satisfied. So then I don't, it's like if I get pulled over for speeding and the officer gives me a cookie instead of a ticket. Not giving me a ticket is what? Mercy. Grace is giving me the cookie. Now, when that happens, I'll be sure and let you know. I'll be the I'll, I'll be absolutely part of that week's. Hopefully, that never happens because I, I won't be speeding ever. And uh, but that's the difference between grace and mercy. So he came so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. In other words, his offering would be accepted, and he will become merciful so that we don't get what we deserve. That's why he had to come. So I don't get what I, what do I deserve? I deserve hell. Separation from God forever. That's what I deserve. You know, don't ever, don't ever claim that something's not fair with God. Jesus has a better claim to that than we do. (laughs) What's not fair is salvation. What's not fair is the cross. That's what's not fair. So he addresses our responsibility, becomes a merciful and faithful high priest. But he goes on to say he did that to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Boy, there's a word we use every day in there. Aren't you so glad that's in there? Yeah. You're sitting around the house watching TV and one of you uses the word propitiation. That happens all the time. So what does that mean? Good question. Propitiation is this. It means the appeasement of God's wrath against our sins through the atonement of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus died and he was the propitiation for my sins, he, God who had anger toward them, And toward me because of them. Jesus appeased that wrath of God. By the sacrifice. (coughs) That's all that means. It's the appeasement of the wrath of God. If you want to shorten it. And so when he became our our propitiation. He addressed our responsibility. That was our responsibility. To pay for that. The bill came. And I couldn't pay it. Well, I could, but it's going to cost me eternity. And Jesus said, that's too high a price. And he came and died for me. And so he secured my responsibility. But he also, we secure his empathy through this. Jesus' incarnation allowed him to be tempted. The Bible tells us, no, God can't be tempted, nor does he tempt any man. So Jesus had to come 
and put on human flesh so that he could be tempted. Through this, we learn a couple things about temptation. I found this very insightful. Temptation requires flesh, whether it's perfect or imperfect. Temptation requires flesh. Adam and Eve were tempted. They had perfect flesh. We're tempted. Our flesh is fallen. But it requires flesh. It appeals to our natural God-given desires, temptation does, to be fulfilled in any other way than the one for which God gave it to us. Did God give us food? Yes. Can food be a temptation? Yes. Here's one of the uncomfortable ones. Did God give us sex? I tell teenagers, sex is awesome when you do it God's way. Can we be tempted to fulfill that in other ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. Temptation requires the flesh. But temptation is also found in suffering. That, this, I'm, when I saw that, I was like, what? And I began to work on that a little bit, and I realized that could be a whole thing in and of itself. Temptation is found in suffering. Listen, <coughs> when we face suffering in this life, there's temptation to doubt God and turn to ourselves instead of trusting Him and walking in His plan for us, regardless of circumstances. Because the biggest sin we commit is not abiding in the vine, right? Because when we stop doing that, there's no more fruit that's produced. We start to wither and die, and then we want to blame God for that. Well, this is God's fault. You know, I'm doing the best I can, and it just ain't nothing working out for me. You're not called to do the best you can. You're called to align with Him. And when you do, he takes care of the rest. He takes care of the life that you need. But when, we, when we're going through suffering, there's something in us that says, when I'm in a relationship with God, everything should be perfect around me. And if I live a perfect life, then everything will come up roses. Let me add, let's, let's tear down those myths for just a minute. We should do that. Somebody should write that down. Myths that Christians believe. Did Jesus live a perfect life? Yep. Was he rightly related to the Father? Yep. How did that turn out? He was persecuted. He was lied about. He was spit on. He was physically attacked. Eventually, he was murdered. So getting all that stuff perfect isn't going to make your circumstances better. Because we live in a fallen world, ladies and gentlemen. I know you're like, man, what did I come today? (laughs) But I'll tell you this, in the middle of all that, you can have hope and peace like you've never understood before. 
that surpasses your circumstances. Because that's what we do. Our circumstances provide us peace instead of the Lord. When things are good, we've got peace. When they're bad, we're oh, we're, we're distraught and troubled. And, and where is God? We start to question Him. And then we have these questions. And we begin to doubt. And temptation comes in. Temptation to turn to ourself. Temptation to turn to other things. Because we're trying to get, we're trying to stop that hurt that's there. You know, listen, I'm going to tell you this. Storms accomplish certain things in our life. And if you pray for God to take the storm away without learning the lesson, He is not going to hear your prayers. He's not going to respond to you. Not until the storm accomplishes purpose. After he addressed Peter on the water, they got in the boat. What did he do? He stopped it. He stopped the storm, remember? He stopped it. Because what he needed the storm for was done. It's true. And so... Through, uh, through uh, suffering, we can see temptation in there. See, because Jesus was tempted, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. That created empathy for us and receptivity by us. Have you ever had somebody who's not been through something you're going through try to tell you how to fix it? What's the first word we, what's the first thing we think of? Mind your own business. Right? Shut up. I know that's not good. But that's what we think, right? But if somebody who's been through it comes to us, they come with more empathy. And if we know that they've been through it, we're more receptive to listening to what they have to say because they've been down the road, right? Those are some of the things that he purchased through the incarnation. And that empathy for us allows us to be more receptive to Him. So if you think you're going through something that Jesus can't understand, that's a deception. He's been through all of it. Every bit of it, and He can feel it. He feels your pain. So how did the incarnation of Christ change us? How did the incarnation of Christ change us? Well, one, we no longer need to fear death. Death for the Christian is not condemnation and a due date to pay for our sins. Death for us ushers us into the very presence of Jesus Christ. We walk into his presence. The one who overcame death for us, granting us that victory to us. Isn't that cool? That's why the Bible says we don't grieve as others grieve. Because in death is hope for us. Because we get to be with him again. Two. We no longer need to fear God because of our sin. Jesus, as our propitiation, completely satisfied God's righteous wrath against us. 
We are made righteous. Well, that what, does that mean I don't have to confess my sin if I sin? No, that doesn't mean that. It means you don't need to fear Him because of that. You don't need to be afraid of God anymore. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? They went and hid themselves because they were afraid. That is a remnant of our fallen condition. But when we walk into a relationship with Christ, we no longer need to fear Him. We're able to walk into the presence of God to carry our requests, let them be made known, have conversations with Him. We don't have a problem doing that. But we're still on this mentality that we're worthy by what we do instead of because of what He did. And we have to break out of that if we're ever going to live in the freedom He gave us. So we don't have to fear Him anymore. Listen, the sin that I'm going to commit tomorrow, hopefully there won't be one, but the sin I'm going to commit tomorrow is covered. That doesn't mean I want to commit it. That doesn't mean I want anything to do with it. I wish it wouldn't happen. And it's going to break my heart when it does because that means I'm missing out. I'm losing out on life. Three. This is real simple. God gets you. He gets you. You ever feel like you're walking through life and nobody understands me? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise mine. You ever feel like you're the weird one? The outcast? The one that nobody understands? The one that how come somebody can't understand what I'm saying ever? And the world will tell you, well, you're not like us, so you're strange, and you're weird, and you're this, and you're that. Well, but my circumstance, these things have happened to me, and they've been unfair, and nobody can understand. God gets you. He gets you. He's been through every temptation, every struggle, every challenge. He understands the difficulties and the temptations that you face. Talk to Him. Draw near to Him. He's not cruel. He's merciful. I'm telling you, the enemy will play to our mind and say, God's a cruel God sometimes. That's unfair. If God is so good, how could He let that happen? You ever read that one? Remember this. We are the ones who invited sin into this world. We are the ones who said, God, you're not enough. We are the ones, we were there in Adam when he sinned. We did it with him. You know, there was a little boy trying to get sleep, but he was frightened. He called down to his father. He said, Dad, it's dark up here and I'm scared. And his father shouts back, Don't be afraid, God is with you. And there was this silence for a few minutes. And the little little boy yelled again, Get up here, Dad, I need somebody with skin on. (laughs) 
That's what Jesus did for us. He put some skin on it. So that we could understand them. So that he could understand us. And sometimes we just need somebody with skin on. See, the incarnation of Christ was required for us to have the opportunity to come to God. So let's not blow the opportunity he created for us. Let's respond to him, walk with him, and enjoy him. I know this had a little bit of technical here. <laughs> Or a little bit of theology in here today. But we need to understand these things. They're in the book. Genesis to Revelation. The whole counsel of the word of God. We learned today. We learned today the incarnation. We learned the propitiation. What that means. And we learned that he did it because he loves us. And that's the best part of all of it. I want to say everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.